Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, yet ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key, not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. Good evening, everyone. This is Joe Schuldenrein with another episode of Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. Today being uh, the eve of Independence Day, I thought it would be appropriate for us to do a program on July 4th, the Independence Day uh, significance in American history, and I have searched my uh, list of contacts and some of my more, most esteemed colleagues, and I have decided to bring in one of my special friends, Dr. Jeff Hantman, who is the Associate Professor of Anthropology and former Director of the Archaeology Interdisciplinary Program at the University of Virginia. Uh, Jeff's research is very widespread and extensively on Native American histories in the greater Chesapeake region of the eastern United States. He has a particular interest in the early colonial era, and I think when we talk about the significance of Independence Day and and the establishment of the American country, if you will, uh, we have to talk about that major transition. Uh, so Jeff's recent studies emphasize the merger of archaeology, ethno-history, indigenous worldviews that generate new questions of the archaeological record that are rooted in native concepts of landscape power and history. Jeff Hampton is currently writing an archaeological history of the Minocan people of Virginia based in part on the interpretation of the same mound complex that Jefferson described. He has worked with the Minocan Indian Tribal Association and Cultural Museum on writing collaborative histories and on the repatriation of human remains and museum collections. Jeff, thanks so much for appearing on the program. Well, thanks, Joe. It's good to be here. Good to have a chance to talk. Uh, my question to you, Jeff, is I would like you to discuss a little bit about the unique position of uh, Thomas Jefferson as a founding father and his association with Native Americans. Jefferson is, is well known for being the, who's often called the father of American archaeology. Uh, he conducted uh, the first scientific excavation anywhere in North America in 1783. And uh, while other people may have been doing some digging, what Jefferson added was publication. He conducted the dig, uh, or directed the dig, and then published the results. Um, so, that puts him in a unique spot in the history of American archaeology that almost every textbook of the history of our field makes note of. Um, it's a good today is an interesting day to reflect on Jefferson's contributions uh, because we're of course on the eve of the Fourth of July and we're thinking about uh, the Revolutionary War and Jefferson's role in that. And what's pretty remarkable is that. He did. He conducted that excavation while the Revolutionary War was going on. 
uh, and he actually was serving as governor of Virginia for a time. Um, with all of those roles, he also maintained a, a strong interest in American Indians across uh, Virginia and across what he knew of North America. And so uh, the dig was one part of his interest in uh, North Native American uh, monuments, ritual, and what the lo what local uh, artifacts might tell him about uh, local Indians. Let me ask you a little bit more before we get into actual details of the dig, which I think people would be very interested in. Obviously, Jefferson had a complex relationship between most of the peoples of uh, of America in, in the 18th century and the early 19th century. How did he view Native Americans vis-a-vis uh, -vis, um, Euro-Americans and blacks, for that matter, with yeah. whom we know he had a very complex relationship as well as much of the recent history on Jefferson has shown? What, what, what do we know about that? Sure. That's a good question. And as always in Jefferson studies, the answer is complex and contradictory. Yeah. No um, question. So in, in the same book that he was just called Notes of the, on the State of Virginia, we'll probably refer to it a few times, the major book that Jefferson published in his lifetime and considered a classic in uh, natural and cultural history in, in North America. Anyway, in this, in this classic work that he wrote in the early 1780s, he, in one chapter, he extolled the virtues of Native Americans. Uh, he extolled the strength and the vigor and the potential uh, for American Indians. Uh, as many people have pointed out, he, he did that from a very nationalistic perspective. Uh, his colleagues in natural history in Europe were arguing, speculating, publishing uh, ideas that suggested that nothing Nothing of great value could ever grow in American soil, of course, in meaning that metaphorically. And Jefferson's response, Jefferson was insulted by that, and in response he, he talked endlessly and, and brilliantly about the natural history of North America, and that his fascination with the mammoth, his fascination with the northern moose, that he uh, took a skeleton up to France to say, look what, look what, look what the potential is in North America in terms of natural history, and he extended that to cultural history mm -hmm. by um, speaking highly of Native Americans. Now, at the same time, and almost contemporary with the writing of that essay, in the Declaration of Independence, he refers to uh, one of King George's crimes as being his uh, alliance with the savages who live on the American frontier, and he denigrates Native American. And as the Indians he knows best living uh, close to Monticello, the Virginia Indians, he considers to be dying out. So the answer to your question in terms of Native Americans is he, when it suits his purposes, he sees a great potential, especially if they live far away. Locally, he doesn't see much future. Indians had a choice. They could be part of the a vision of America, or they would be driven into the Stony Mountains. And that's more of an option, of course, 
then in his thinking and in his writing and his action, much more than he uh, offered to African Americans. So Native American, if he had, if there was a ranking, um, Jefferson certainly had racist ideas about Native Americans and African Americans, but saw some room for Native Americans uh, in the future of America, and not some, not that, of course, for African Americans. But it's still sort of with a, if, if, for lack of a better definition, it's still sort of within that context of a sort of a pre-Polkian uh, manifest destiny kind of a thing. In other words, they would be moving out as we were moving in. Is that how he looked at it? Did he see an integrative force at all for bringing Native Americans into the uh, growing uh, American ethos? I think he, he, yeah, he saw that as a, that was a choice they had. Um, in the, in, in modern day vernacular, he was saying, we're moving west. You could adopt our agricultural practices. You can speak our languages. Even literally, he says, you can learn our arithmetic. Right. And we may intermarry, um, or else there is no place for you. Right. Um, so, you know, he wasn't, uh, and, and, and sometimes in the, in the colonies and in the early states of, of the Virginias, he was also, uh, pushing I say the Cherokee, uh, who were allied with the British, um, he was pushing pushing them out of the colony. So let, let's let's take a step back for a second, Jeff. In a geopolitical sense, uh, was that position that he took at that time considered radical? Say with respect to the rest of the founding fathers. You know, I I don't. He's one of the few who took a position uh, of the Founding Fathers, right. uh, who took a position on Native Americans. What they all, especially he and John Adams, cared about their origin. Who are these people? And right. We, we came here, we don't, we don't see these people mentioned in the Bible, in biblical history. We don't see these people mentioned in classical history. Who are these people? So Adams... Uh, in Massachusetts and Jefferson and Virginia would have a very lively discussion about that, clear right up to the months before they died. But as far as policy, Jefferson was, uh, to my knowledge, the one who was in, as governor, uh, secretary of state, he was the one who was in a position to uh, issue uh, statements about the possible role for Indians in the future of the the new nation. And he was open to their inclusion as long as they essentially became European. Right. As long as they assimilated. And yet uh, you've mentioned that um, in the Declaration of Independence he sort of makes disparaging comments about their warlike characteristics and again, trying to segue into the excavation itself, his archaeological work, uh, you say, refuted that. Yeah. Is it? Uh, how did he come about to revise his interpretation? And more specifically, what did he do archaeologically, and how did he do it? Well, there's, that's a, I bet there's a longer answer to that. What he what he did archaeologically directly relates to the revolution. And I'm not sure most people are aware of that. It 
it connects to the years towards the end of the Revolutionary War, the apparent victory for the American colonies over uh, the British and our allies, the French, got very interested in who we were, technically, right. each colony. You know, they want to know about the resources, they want to know about the population, they want to know about history. And uh, many people have asked the question, why did, why did Jefferson dig that mound? And the answer is because essentially he was asked to by the French delegate to the Constitutional Convention who issued a similar request to all the colonies. Jefferson, really? was, Jefferson took charge of answering those questions, and in answering those questions, this delegate had said, are there any monuments? Do you have, essentially, he said, do you have anything like the henges and the barrows and tumuli and right. the Pompeys of Europe? Do you have anything like that in America? And Jefferson, again, speaking more positively uh, and, and not buying into the famous myth of the mound builders, he says, well, we don't exactly have ruins such as you would recognize, but we do have monuments, yes. And there's one of these in my neighborhood. And that prompts him to <laughs> study that monument so that he could tell his French uh, interviewer what the uh, what was inside one of those. Was it a battleground cemetery, or was it the common cemetery for, and I don't say that negatively, or was it the, a cemetery for a community that lived in one place for hundreds of years? And he, using scientific technique, he evaluates these competing hypotheses and concludes this was the cemetery that was used by a town for he couldn't have said a hundred you know hundreds of years at that point but he he says evocatively he says this was, the burials were placed in and so on and so on and so on he's saying this is a repeated ritual the result of which is a 10 to 12 foot earthen mound filled with about a thousand individuals so that's why he dug the mound, and that's what he found. You asked me, um, what did he say in the Declaration as, as we think about that on, on July 4th? He said, he described Indians as being savages and that King George was allied with these savages. And the, the reason they were savages was that they conducted warfare in an indiscriminate way, a merciless right. way, in which they conducted an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In other words, he, he accuses Indians of, of carrying out warfare that would include the killing of men, women, and children. Um, but when he when he does the excavation, he he doesn't acknowledge that he's contradicting his language in the Declaration, but he very nicely documents that he didn't think this was a cemetery for a battleground because in in the mound he finds the remains of men, women, children, and infants. And and so this was not these were not a people who were consumed with warfare. And he uses that simple demographic to demonstrate that um again these were not these mounds were not the location of uh, battlefield cemeteries uh, where, where the kind of warfare he described was carried out.
So he had, he had, he was actually learning a lot as he was going along. And are, is it your feeling that he was revising his preconceived notions as he was doing the excavation? Uh, I think so. Um, I think this is, this is my speculation, but I, by 1760, uh, in the Scottish Enlightenment, the naturalists, natural historians were busy digging barrows and henges in uh, Scotland and northern England and across northern Europe. And Jefferson would have studied that in, when he was a student at the College of William and Mary. So I think he was well aware of, you know, he didn't invent archaeology. He brought it, from, as, as with so many of his great innovations that he deserves credit for. The great innovation was taking something he learned about from Europeans or in Europe and bringing it to North America. But I think, um, to answer your question, what he added that's extraordinary because it's 40 years before Charles Lyell publishes right. Principles of Geology. That's Jefferson's analysis of the mound is all about stratigraphy. It's looking at the human remains and how they're layered on one on top of the other. And he sees this as evidence of the long-term occupation, of village occupation. He compares uh, this method of uh, actually secondary burial. Uh, he compares it to the burial practices of Greeks and Romans. He sees this all as very civilized. Um, you know, so I think he did learn as he went along. Um, he, add, he added the um, photographic instance. He made this interesting cross-cultural connection between Native Americans and classical Greece and Rome. And last and far from least, he, without the question being posed to him, he, he ends his discussion of the mound by saying, of the mound excavation, by saying that he had actually observed a group of Indians make their way to this mound and carry out mournful ceremonies there just uh, 20 years before. In doing we're gonna that, have to, we're going to have to take a break. We're going to have to take a break here, okay. sir. Cut you off for a second, Jeff. Well, we'll take a break and we will come back and resume our discussion with a fascinating discussion with Dr. Jeffrey Hampton, uh, Hentman of the University of Virginia about Thomas Jefferson, archaeologist. We'll be back after these words. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. 
Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. We're back. On this eve of Independence Day 2013, uh, we're having a fascinating discussion here with Dr. Jeffrey Hantman, the Associate Professor of Anthropology at the University of Virginia, who, among his other specialties, has uh, looked into and researched the role of Thomas Jefferson as an archaeologist and what that means in terms of Jefferson's vision of America. And Jeff, we were discussing uh, the background to this, and you had mentioned basically that uh, the American partners in the revolution, the French, were particularly interested in what kind of monumental uh, evidence there might have been for uh, the presence in the historic uh, background to, to the Indians on the North American continent. And you talked about uh, Jefferson's initial excavations. Tell us a little bit about those excavations and how he moved along and, and, and how he actually conducted these excavations uh, so many hundreds of years ago. Okay. I'm happy to. Let me, I'll start by uh, pointing out that Jefferson knew the countryside of central Virginia quite well. And uh, like other colonists, he, he knew that there were these monuments on the landscape. There were these earthen mounds, uh, burial mounds, and they stood about 10 to 18 feet high and, and as much as 80 feet across in diameter. So I think as a natural historian, as a cultural historian, Jefferson had to be aware of the presence of these odd features on the landscape. Um, Jefferson's uh, interest in archaeology was spurred by the French interest in in these mine. Are there mine? Are these monuments? What are these things? Um, Twelve other colonies received the questionnaire asking, "Are there monuments in in your state?" Mm-hmm. But it was Jefferson who said, "I'm going to find out more about these things. They're all around. I'm interested." There, he uses this phrase, which shows his sense of his place in the world. He said, there being one of these in my neighborhood. <laughs> the mound he studied is about three miles from his home, but I think his sense of his neighborhood is pretty broad. Um, I think it's important. Uh, he 
decided to dig this mound in 1783 in order to answer the question, what are these things? Are these monuments? Are they battleground cemeteries? What are they? Um, were they built by Native Americans? Or were they built by an ancient race, which was the popular idea at the time, that there had been other people not related to American Indians who had built these mounds and they had been pushed out by the people we know today as Native Americans. So that, that was, those ideas were swirling around, and in writing A History of Virginia for the French, Jefferson wanted to literally dig into that. There's no question, he, he approaches a mound that's 10 feet high when he sees it, 40 feet in diameter. They had been deflated and, and plowed a bit and uh, weren't as big as they probably had been uh, just 50 years before. But Jefferson approaches it and, as an archaeologist, devises a, a digging strategy in which there would be first test pits on the surface, followed by the excavation of a trench that it may have been as much as 40 feet wide, Mm -hmm. And he says, wide enough that I, a man could walk through it and look into both sides, which, again, okay. his introduction is stratigraphy. I think it's very important, and I'll stop and take, take your next question, very important to remember that the first American archaeologist also must have been enslaved African-Americans. That rarely gets mentioned, and I haven't mentioned this to this point, but Jefferson is not out there by himself with a shovel. No way. And so the landowner on the property he was digging on, who was a family friend, and Jefferson himself, of course, um, were both slave owners, and there's no question that the first archaeologist, uh, I, I I'm sure Jefferson was there, I'm sure he was in the trench, but I think we have to realize uh, he was not alone and dependent on the labor and input of uh, the enslaved African Americans from his plantation or the neighboring plantation. Uh, so, so I, I yep, couldn't I, tell you how many. There's no record of that, how many people were there. But he dug, very modern, he dug test pits initially and then said, I'm going to put a trench right through the middle of it, and that's what he did. And and so he basically <clears throat> sort of you know again this is this is not a strategy that changed really very much until the last fifty or sixty years. He based basically mobilized manpower that was readily available to him to go ahead and actually do this massive earth moving. Um, on the other hand, conceptually, um, ha did he document what he was doing as he was doing it? Did he take notes? And you had mentioned uh, the concept of stratigraphy, which uh, most people who are listening to the program know a little bit about that. But just to summarize, that is the systematic layering of uh, horizons or, or, or levels of dirt uh, as a result of various different types of activities. And you're saying that he knew that, that he knew he was he was tuned into this. Uh, pretty much as he was going into the project, and uh, that is, of course, a major achievement right then and there. And then the question I have for you, though, and and to move you forward on this, is did he take notes, and based on what you're telling us, uh, there might have been a notebook uh, recounting what he was doing and, and how he was doing it through time and as, as he progressed? 
Well, I wish I could tell you, yes, there, there are more notes and more records. Um, what we have is about four pages entered into the final revised edition of the book, Notes on the State of Virginia. It's been published since 1784. Right. Um, and that's all we have. So I, I, what we have is extremely detailed, how the size of the mound, whether there's a five-foot ditch that surrounds it, and he just says that's, the, that's where they got the soil to build up the earth and mass that becomes the mound. There's a lot of detail in his description, but site maps, uh, you know, that's, no, nothing like that. Um, a rich description of the, the stratigraphic layers, which he, in his writing, understands to be historical. And not everybody in the 1780s understood that um, the height above the surface of the ground uh, equated to the passage of time, and he has no he has no problem seeing that. So, um, two questions are often asked: Are there any notes? And well, actually, three questions, if I may. Are there any notes? No, just what exists in the published book. Second, did he collect any artifacts? And the answer there is no. But the the interesting thing is that the people he was studying, the Monacan Indians, you mentioned at the outset, they didn't bury their dead with burial goods. So it would be, I wouldn't expect that there, there would be any artifact collections. Um, and the third thing is, and this is an ethical question that you might, we should probably touch on, and that is, did he collect the human remains? And the answer again is no, he didn't. He studied them in the field and reburied them. So um, it's, it will, for all time, be a, an ethical question of whether, you know, what was in Jefferson's mind that he would disturb a sacred burial ground. Right. And was this a defacement? And to a degree, it was. But I also, not but, the, he's always con contradictory. The movement of bones in Europe and in North America and ossuaries was not, uh, at that time, it wasn't the issue that it is now. Um, I, we've, I've worked with the Monacan tribe, the descendants of these people, to return human remains to them for reburial in their cemeteries. But Jefferson did not keep the bones. He did disturb them, but he let put them back in the burial mound and... Uh, seemingly covered them up again. Like a precursor to repatriation? I mean, was he getting second thoughts or? I don't, uh, I just, I don't think it's, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say precursor to repatriation uh, as much as the sense that this was, a, a, this, he didn't have a purpose for them. Right. He, he talks, he's, you know, he's America's first osteologist, bioarchaeologist, if you will, because he talks a lot about the condition of the bone, whether there was any evidence and skulls of, um, of blunt trauma. It's amazing. And he concludes there is no evidence of trauma. Um, so he does this work in the field. And why, he, I think, choosing to return the bones to the ground 
Um, it would be generous to say that was uh, ethical on his part. I hope it was, uh, but I couldn't. I couldn't tell you what he was thinking on that issue. And on that note, we're going to take another break, and we will continue our discussion with uh, Dr. Jeffrey Hantman of the University of Virginia after these words. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Michelle Core Six Degrees is your connected consciousness. Six Degrees is what comes around, goes around radio. Committed to delivering a fresh perspective on thought-provoking, investigative information that can change your life. Six Degrees connects you to the social and emotional scene and is your trusted advisor from finance to romance, mainstream to metaphysical. It's a positive, upbeat look at life, love, and the pursuit of passion. Get connected Saturdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Adoption changes a family forever, for the adopters as well as the adoptees. There are many adjustments that need to be made, from lifestyle to financial, and the personal rewards are unlimited. Listen every week for Your Adoption Coach with Kelly Ellison. We will examine in detail such topics as international and domestic adoption. We will talk with adoption professionals and hear stories about real families adopting. If you've been thinking about adoption or recently began the process, you'll want to tune in to be inspired every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra goarc.com. Now, back to the program. We're back with our final segment on this very special July 3rd. We're talking about uh, the Independence Day and uh, the role of Thomas Jefferson in particular as an archaeologist. As most of you know, he was this amazing Renaissance person of the 18th and early 19th century and had interests in archaeology and natural history as well and certainly stated many significant positions on uh, interactions between Euro-Americans and uh, indigenous Americans as well. And uh, I would like to tie this program together by reflecting a little bit on the movement right now for archaeologists to get involved in the activities of indigenous populations, Native Americans, and how to interact with them in productive ways that uh, certainly honor their religious traditions and deal with the very, very touchy issue of burials and the recovery of human remains and what they mean 
from scientific standpoints as well as from religious standpoints. Jeff Hantman has been involved in this type of work. He has been associated with the contemporary Menachem population. And Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit about your current work with the indigenous populations of Virginia and what you're doing with them? Okay, sure. Um, the the connection to the Monacans, that's how they pronounce it. Uh, Sorry. I got, no, that's okay. Most, it goes here in many ways. Um, I got very interested, actually, in the question of colonial history uh, when I first came to Virginia and was interested in the interaction between Indians and colonists. And one of the things that puzzled me was why the Jamestown colony was allowed to survive? It's a simple question, but it raises profound uh, questions and thoughts. When I say, why were they allowed to survive? Uh, you know, there's much celebration of the Jamestown colony. There's 104 Englishmen, and they set up a fort in the midst of the Powhatan, uh, Powhatan Indian chiefdom on the Chesapeake, which was about 14,000, 15,000 people strong with many warriors. And in prior years, several colonial episodes had occurred where Spanish and then English attempted to settle the Chesapeake, and the Indians said, no, you're not going to stay here. And they were murdered or they were allowed to die. In 1607, that changed, and the English were allowed to stay. Now, what does this have to do with Jefferson, the mound Jefferson dug and the Monacans, what, what I started realizing was that we had to think a lot more about the internal politics on, of American Indian groups in the same way that we think about the, the English worrying about the Spanish, worrying about the Dutch. Right. Who were the, the Powhatan Indians wor- working with or worried about? And... To make this short, it became very clear to me from the Jamestown records that the answer was the Monacan people who live in the western part of Virginia, away from the coast, and who chose not to have anything to do with the English. They chose to just back, pull back and say, we don't want to work with these people. We don't want to trade with them. We don't want to live with them. And so consequently, they become fairly invisible. But if you look at the early history, the relations between the Monacans and the Powhatans and the English have to be looked at together. And in fact, you could make that a broader world. Well, that led me to say, well, who were the Monacans? And I couldn't find very much. Who were the Monacans? What, what was their society like? We didn't have uh, books and books uh, written in the 1600s about who the Monacans were. And that fascinated me as an archaeologist because that meant this was, in part, an archaeological question. And so my interest and my working with the Monacans, I, I met with the contemporary Monacan people and discussed my interest in their history and learned from them, and then began an archaeological project in the absence of written records, I began what now two decades of archaeology to document who the Monacans were. Not only then their role in the Jamestown colony, but what their history was, because it was missing from most of our textbooks of American history and Native American history. And that's, that's how archaeology, that's how I got 
interested in working with the contemporary tribes and beginning an archaeological project. Uh, to connect back to our earlier discussion, it became pretty clear to me that the mound that Thomas Jefferson excavated w was one of a series of mounds, and if you map those mounds on a map of Virginia, you basically map the territory of the Monacan people and their most important, most sacred sites that mean a lot to this day. Um, so that's, that's, that's the archaeological project, um, both dealing with um, an unwritten prehistory, but also looking at the colonial period and also working with the Monacans themselves today to learn what they know about these mounds, what they know about the villages, and what questions they have, because their questions are often different than mine. So we work, as many archaeologists do today, we work collaboratively, and sometimes I'm learning much more than I'm teaching, because there's a lot to be gained from the uh, American Indian perspective on these, these places. And if I were to ask you very briefly, we don't have much time left, how that project is going and what is the nature of the cross-pollination, as it were, between you and the Monacans and, and, and what is their connection with archaeology and how they, they see what archaeology is doing today in terms of how it relates to their ancestral communities and their, their role going forward? Well, I... It works in a number of directions, and I know we don't have much time, but uh, let me first say uh, I've worked with the tribe on uh, the return of human remains from uh, mound sites, not the Jefferson site, but others that were excavated in Virginia and where collections were, were not well kept for and not respectfully uh, kept. And those, we've been able to work through the NAGPRA committee and return those remains to the Monacan tribe. That means a lot. Right. A great deal. Um, the National Park Service had an enormous collection of artifacts, uh, which was stored at Jamestown, and nobody was using it. And uh, I worked with the tribe to um, identify the artifacts and have them uh, properly curated by the Park Service so that the Park Service could then give them as a gift to the Monacan tribe, and they're, they're then part of the Monacan uh, Tribal Museum. So we've had that kind of relationship. They have, on the archaeological sites that I work on, there's interest in what we find. Um, we have actually done some testing of the village site associated with the mound that Jefferson studied. And um, their interest there was to do a blessing on that site before the soil, before it was disturbed. And um, so that's, you know, we collaborate on those type of things. We've done facial reconstructions. They, they had no images of their ancestors before 1914. They saw, you know, Jamestown colonists have their faces reconstructed and Neanderthal faces reconstructed. You know, they see this in the media all the time, and they said, you know, can't we do that? Can we do that? Right. And so that's not something I had any training in or wasn't thinking about, but I listened to why it mattered to them, 
and we did that project uh, collaboratively with a number of people from the Smithsonian, an artist, and um, so you know we those are the kinds of things we've been doing together. They are um, they are interested in the archaeology. They are interested in history. They are interested in asserting their sovereignty over these. Uh, archaeological collections and especially human remains. Um, and so we try and work together to make sure those interests are met. Are you seeing a an interest in archaeology on the part of the Monacans, contemporary Monacans? Are they interested in, in uh, sort of taking a little bit of a proactive stance themselves as as uh, projects going forward to uh, to take a very active role in, in their heritage and uh, using archaeology as a vehicle for doing that? There is some interest. Um, I, I'll, I'll answer you frankly. The, the, there is, through archaeology, there's grown an interest in anthropology, and the strongest um, interest is actually in language. Uh-huh. And revitalizing their language from which hasn't been spoken in at least a century and probably more. So the interest in archaeology is um, in the results is is is, is substantial. Um, the, the, the kids coming out of high school and college are not uh, to this point are not turning to archaeology as a career, um, but anthropology more generally, yeah, there's, there's an interest in having an indigenous voice in anthropology. And so, uh, so there is a future here in terms of a revitalization, if you will, of cultural heritage and trying to understand um, how they evolved and, 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 and how their, their culture has been passed down and, and whether or not it can be revived. Yeah, there's a, there's a very strong interest. Um, we have a doctoral student in our program at the University of Virginia working on this topic. And um, within the community, it's, um, it's a strong interest. And on that note, I'm afraid we're going to have to end our very fascinating hour with Dr. Jeffrey Hantman of the University of Virginia. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, This was a unique program that uh, we dedicated to Independence Day and uh, probably even more so cultural interaction, which is what we as anthropologists and archaeologists are all about. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate your uh, involvement, and uh, we will see everybody again next week, same time. Thank you, Joe. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Tomorrow.